Ave and welcome to Emperors of Rome, a podcast on the rulers of the ancient Roman Empire. I'm your host, Matt Smith, and with me as always is Dr. Rhiannon Evans, a lecturer in ancient Mediterranean studies at La Trobe University. This is episode XLI, Nerva. The assassination of Domitian leaves a Flavian-sized hole in the fabric of Rome. Previous voids have been filled by a quick round of Miami is bigger than yours, but this time it's different. The Senate acts and makes one of their own, Nerva, the new emperor. Here's Rhiannon Evans. Nerva was one of the last Italian emperors that we have. He is the follow-up to Domitian, as it were. Remember, Domitian was assassinated violently in 96 CE, and he's emperor for a very short time after that, only for 16 months. Nerva was born just north of Rome, and we know little about his early life, in fact, so little that we have debate about when he was born exactly. We have two different accounts, Mm. Uh, possibly 30 CE, possibly 35, so that's quite a big gap. The Tacitian scholar Sir Ronald Syme thought that the later date was more consistent with the kind of roles that Nerva gets later on. So he gets them at the right age for having been born in 35, but we just don't know. But that would kind of make sense, wouldn't it? Because they're very regimented on when you become, say, a consul. These things start to dissolve a little bit, actually, in the imperial period. Mm. So it had been fixed in the republican period. There were laws about it. But if you're part of the imperial family or if you are favoured by the emperor, then these dates get shifted around a little bit. So it makes it a bit more difficult to say that. Certainly Nerva was from a high-born consular family. In other words, there'd been men who'd been consuls in his background. And his family had also been quite close to the imperial family. So his grandfather, for example, had gone into exile with Tiberius. Remember, way, way back yeah, so yeah. far now. But that's, that's the, quite a close friend if you go into exile with the exactly. emperor. Exactly. The voluntary exile he went mm, into yes. on Capri. He had obviously been close to Tiberius when he became emperor, but then fell out of favour or at least allegedly decided that he couldn't accept Tiberius's excesses and did the good old stiff upper lip Roman thing of starving himself to death. Whoa. So he kind of comes from um, these these may be anecdotes which uh, have accumulated and may or may not have truth in them, but it sort of gives Nerva some renown to have had a family that's, that's stoic in that modern sense who, mm. who would stand by its beliefs. So that's quite a good thing for Nerva, that he has these upstanding, good Roman values in his family and that he has aristocratic people who have held those particular roles in the past. He was also close to Nero, it seems, which is not necessarily good for your reputation in the way that ancient historians deal with him. He seems to have been instrumental in exposing the conspiracy against Nero, the Pisonian conspiracy in 65 CE. And he's somebody who's part of that Neronian literary circle. He seems to have composed poetry that Nero liked. And Nero gave him lots of honours. You may remember when we talked about Nero, he kind of applied the kind of honours that you'd normally get for being athletic or a military hero to literary efforts. And Nerva gets some of these. 
but it doesn't seem to dent his popularity with the dynasty that follows Nero. So when Nero's assassinated and we get Vespasian and the Flavian dynasty and in many ways, uh, particularly Vespasian and Titus try to sort of wipe out Nero's memory, they literally build things over his buildings, including the Colosseum. Nerva is still somebody who's at the heart of the imperial administration. Part of his closeness to the Flavians, you might remember, involved him being a kind of carer for the young Domitian. The Flavians are now the, the dynasty to come. Domitian's not necessarily going to be emperor because Titus is the bright new hope, but he needs, in the absence of other people being around and he doesn't have close family, Nerva kind of steps in and this makes him even closer to that dynasty. So he's somebody who is seen as useful, presumably very competent, because he's kept on. And uh, just three years after Nero's murdered, he's consul. Mm. So popular enough with the Flavians to attain the highest rank. Yeah. It says something, though, that when you're changing government like that, you want to keep a few of the old crowd around you as your ministers to show that there's a bit of continuity between that. Look, we're still emperors, we're still keeping everything more or less stable. So some of the old crowd of the senators would stay the same. Well, I think that this is kind of the eternal issue when you have changes of government, not just in Roman antiquity, but one that still dogs us now. Um, it, it happened a few months ago in Australia, so yeah, it's still a current thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it's happening in our democracies uh, when administrations are overturned. You know, who do you keep in and who do you get rid of because they're too closely connected to someone you regard as a dictator? Yeah. Um, you need enough of that talent and knowledge about the way that things are administered to continue with it. But at the same time, do you want to have a clean sweep to get rid of the people who are adherents of someone who was your enemy? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it's a problem. And actually, it's a problem that Nerva comes up against as well. So yeah. that's something we'll talk about with him. We maybe get glimpses of Nerva during, say, Suetonius's stint on Domitian. We can see where he's had influences or responsibilities or how close he was to the imperial family. Mm. But for his time as emperor, we don't have Suetonius, we don't have Tacitus. What are we dealing with for historical sources? Well, not very much. And it gets pretty scant from here on out, doesn't it? It does, although Nerva and the emperor who follows him, Trajan, are sort of in the black hole of no biographies even. We will get biographies following they're of limited use and from a later period, but we don't even have that for Nerva. So we've got Dio Cassius. He's the main historical narrative that covers, you know, the whole period. We've always got Dio. He's always there. Mm. Good old Dio. At least you can fall back on him, the Greek historian. And we've also got bits and pieces from people like the younger Pliny, who is very much alive and active at this time and becomes a significant player, particularly with the emperor who comes next. But we really do bemoan the lack of Suetonius and Tacitus. And we do tend to get the general view from this point on, from the sources we have, that this is the beginning of good rule. And I'm not just talking about Nerva here, I'm talking about a lot of the second century. Nobody is more responsible for this than the 18th century historian Edward Gibbon, who said that the kind of accumulation of this point in about the 160s CE was the time that you would want to have lived. Mm. 
he's one of the people who has created this kind of myth of the period of the five good emperors. So if you're ever asked who are the five good emperors, I don't know, it might come up in Trivial Pursuit. Everyone forgets about Nerva because he didn't rule for very long. But this is the start of it. Yeah. It's Nerva, Trajan, Hadrian, Antoninus Pius and Marcus Aurelius. They're considered the five good emperors. They had control over the empire. There wasn't civil war. There was none of this madness going on that we got with the kind of heavy-handed suppression of dissident views under Domitian. That's the general kind of feel about this period, and Nerva starts it off. Okay, so let, let's have Nerva start it off then. Domitian is assassinated. The Senate comes in and says, Nerva, you are now emperor. Why Nerva? I mean, I know he's got the political experience, but he's old and he has no heir. He's 65. Well, depending on when he was born. Depending on when he was born. (laughs) He was towards the end of his career, safe to say, and he's got no heir. So why Nerva? Well, it's a good question. Some people think he probably wasn't the first choice. Well, he seems to have been named the day of Domitian's assassination. So Mm. if they were thinking of others, then... They didn't spend very long thinking about it. Uh, He doesn't seem to have been part of the assassination. Some people have raised that question, but there's no evidence to point to him knowing about it. After Domitian, the Senate regards him as out of control, utterly chaotic, spending money all over the place, executing senators just when he feels like it, basically being a psychopath. That's how he's represented. They want someone who's going to be a kind of straight down the line man, which Nerva certainly seems to be. It's interesting that the Senate does finally get its way, in a way, in that all the way along the Julia-Claudian Flavian dynasties, we've been talking about the Senate maybe asserting itself. But it's been groups like the Praetorian Guard who've actually made decisions. If you think of the infamous transition from, say, Caligula to Claudius, where the Praetorian Guard steps in and just kind of grabs hold of Claudius and says he'll Mm, do almost... So the military in various different aspects of the military has had a lot of power. And of course, that's the basis of the whole Flavian dynasty is the fact that Vespasian and the civil war before that has been generals putting their hand up, being acclaimed by their army. So this is actually a step back to the previous repository of power. It's not quite an attempt to go back to the Republic, of course. It's not that. He's acclaimed emperor. But it is an assertion that the Senate has some say, has some power, and they want somebody who has been a senator, but also a really effective administrator within the imperial system. So we can't think of this as an attempt to return to the Republic, but we can think of it as an attempt to assert the authority of the Senate within the imperial system. Is that why their decision probably had to be so quickly as well before the army moved in and had a chance to put somebody that they wanted in power because Domitian was very popular with the military? He was, and this is going to cause problems for Nerva. Well, I do wonder actually whether Tacitus says that the Senate didn't act quickly enough in the past. He says this in the annals. He may well be reacting to the fact that here they did act quickly enough. So that's Mm. what they should have done Mm. back when the Julio-Claudians were having their transitions. And now they finally way down the line learned that lesson, as it were, according to Tacitus. And they get in, as you say, much more quickly here. But it doesn't really work because the military does need to be satisfied and they're not particularly satisfied with Nerva because, exactly as you say, Domitian had kept them very happy. So how does Nerva deal with this problem when he becomes emperor? Because in the past you've had emperors that have been able to 
take their soldiers away to war and go and conquer somebody and sack the place and, you know, reward the soldiers that way with lots of treasure. But Nerva doesn't have that kind of option, so... Nerva has a problem with the army. Domitian had been popular with the army. Nerva doesn't have that kind of relationship with them. He's basically an administrator. And they feel aggrieved at the death of Domitian. So he tries to do the typical thing that you do with the army, which is raise their pay, but that doesn't particularly work. And there's a near mutiny. The army wants the assassins of Domitian executed. They want justice done for Domitian. Nerva, according to our our one good source, actually resists this at first. So the Praetorian prefect, who's called Casperius Aelianus, comes to him and demands that these prisoners are executed. Dio gives us one of the rare dramatic points of Nerva's whole reign. He says that he resisted them stoutly, even to the point of bearing his collarbone and presenting to them his throat. But it was pointless. They weren't going to kill him. They just wanted him to do this. Mm. So they threaten him. And I have to say that is one point where Nerva actually looks like he's got a lot of backbone, that he'll stand up to these people. Or as he showed, a bit of collarbone. Yeah, exactly. But he does, in the end, fold. He gives in to this as a way of placating the military. Um, And it's kind of a bit sad, actually. Dio goes on to say that Nerva feels that they have contempt for him because of his old age, which is something that wouldn't have happened in the Republic because old age is revered. So that's a change that we can say is being pointed out by Dio here. And one of the ways that he particularly gives in to the army is that he adopts a successor and apparently goes up to the Capitol Hill and announces this to the people. His successor is a a Spanish general called Trajan, who is a very successful army commander who at that time is in Germania. In fact, both Nerva and Trajan at the time of the adoption take on the names Germanicus as a sign of a very minor victory that Trajan has had in Germania. So Nerva's kind of linking himself to Trajan's success through this. And this is a symbolic way of linking himself to the army. The army knows, um, in fact, apparently has contempt for his age. So they know that he's not going to live that much longer. And therefore, they will get their man Trajan soon. So at that point, Nerva's chosen a successor. He's got the military on side. He's had to go quite at a length to do it. So everything's happy, gates are closed? Well, there seems to be financial problems, which some people have theorized was caused by the extravagance of Domitian. That's kind of what people always say after a bad, quotation marks, emperor, isn't it? The you, same? you can always blame the previous yeah, government. Yeah. Yeah. You can indeed, <laughs> and it happened after Nero too, and probably was true after Nero. So there are those issues to deal with, and of course anything you do to raise money is never going to be popular. And actually, Nerva doesn't seem to turn out to be the firm or straightforward hand that perhaps the Senate wanted. So there's a famous remark from the writer Fronto that basically there is chaos during the reign, very short reign of Nerva. And perhaps because it's such a short reign, that's what he's associated with. He doesn't have time to sort it out. But Fronto famously says that people would have preferred the kind of despotism of Domitian to the anarchy 
of what happens under nerva wow. which again yeah. i think resonates with us because when you get rid of a regime often you get anarchy and though people may have despised the dictator who was there at least they didn't have total chaos so yeah, they start to think yeah. yeah they start to think back fondly to this person who was you know perhaps throwing people into prison willy-nilly but mm. at least you had food on the table that kind of thing so this seems to be what happens with nerva and who knows maybe that would have led to further problems for him but of course he doesn't live very long so did he have an opportunity to do any building projects that are worth we've got a temple haven't we a temple of nerva or a farm of something or we i'm going to ask that here <laughs> <laughs> no i think that was a very good way of asking it because it is confusing we do have some building projects that he does not instigate, he completes. Mm. This is another, okay, you blame the previous regime for everything that's bad. You finish off the good things that they started and then take credit for them. For example, he completes a forum and there's a little bit of land between the Forum of Augustus and the sort of forum that Vespasian had put up, which is... I, I think I know what you're talking about and I'm going to refer to it as the patio of Nerva. Yeah. <laughs> well... It had been called the Forum Transitorium, and I'm sure we referred to it in our podcasts on Domitian because Domitian starts it off, yeah. and it's the Passageway Forum. Yeah. That's what they're literally calling it. I like the patio, but they already had a silly <laughs> name for it, really, in that it's so small, it's a little corridor forum. Yeah, yeah. And remember, it's the one where there's no room to actually have columns so that you, you don't have... They kind of put false columns on the there, outside, didn't they? There are false columns inside so that it looks like you've got walkways down the side. Yeah. But in fact, all you've got is columns built into the wall. They're, yeah. They're attached. I can imagine Nerva stepping outside and going to the architect. Okay, right, I've got this little bit of room here. I want a barbecue at that end. I want a nice bit of covering there. No, there's a temple of Minerva. Standing proudly looking at his veggie patch. <laughs> There's a temple of Minerva in it, and you will remember it must have been very. Uh, I, w I want my temple of Minerva mm. at that side. Yeah, well, I you see. My, I want my veggie patch there. Minerva wouldn't <laughs> have wanted a temple of Minerva. He, Minerva is the patron goddess of Domitian, which means that this was well on its way by the time Nerva comes to power, because yeah, yeah. we already have not only a temple of Minerva, which of course has to be, you know, that takes a lot of planning, and it also takes a lot of religious ritual. But also there is a relief sculpture which shows the punishment of a mythological character called Arachne by Minerva. That's the kind of thing you could redo if you wanted. And it's obviously a reference to Domitian who had this special relationship with Minerva. That doesn't get changed. In fact, you can still see that there. It's one of the few things that you can still see uh, from that forum. So this is pretty much finished. Nerva decides to dedicate it as the Forum of Nerva. Mm. So he puts his name on it. That's kind of all he does to it, in, in fact. And we have, sort of as we had with Caligula in the past, we have statues of Caligula that have clearly been turned into other emperors. Same thing happens with Domitian. So a lot of the Nerva statuary is recarved Domitian. Uh, there's a very famous relief called the Cancellaria relief, where it's fairly clear this is the emperor kind of in all his regalia. But the face is very, very thin because they've just chopped bits off it to make it look like Nerva. Mm. This is what I mean by he's it, I, the Forum Transitorium, the Forum of Nerva is almost a good metaphor for him because he's such an interim character. Emperor Transitorium. <laughs> <laughs> How does he die? It's just a very much he he's dies of old age, doesn't he? 
he had a stroke, we think, although yeah. it's always difficult to medicalize descriptions of, of deaths from antiquity. He died very early in 98, so he doesn't, you know, literally he's there for 16 months. A bit like the rest of Nerva's story, it's, most of it's not terribly dramatic. There are no theories about him being killed in any way that's not natural. So he dies of natural causes, absolutely for political reasons. He is deified by his adopted son, Trajan. So, of course, we're going to have temples of the deified Nerva. And he's not really remembered as a very exciting character. He doesn't have the time to be exciting. He doesn't have the time to be exciting. But to his credit, we don't develop another civil war at that time. And if you think about what happened after Nero, it was very bloody, a lot of deaths, you know, four emperors in one year, mm. a huge time of chaos. There's a certain amount of chaos after Nerva. But actually, this is quite good for Trajan, who's coming up next, because the, the sort of chaos has happened under Nerva, and then he has a new start. Nobody is going to question whether he should be emperor. He's been named as the successor. He's been adopted by Nerva. The army loves him. It's a very good place for a new emperor to arrive. That's Dr. Rhiannon Evans, lecturer in ancient Mediterranean studies at La Trobe University. And you've been listening to Emperors of Rome. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes. Please leave a review there. You can find the Emperors of Rome page on Facebook. And you can follow both myself and Rhiannon on Twitter. Rhiannon is at Dr. Rhiannon Evans. And I'm at Nightlight Guy. In the next episode of Emperors of Rome, well, you'll find out as soon as I do. But trust me when I say there will be a next episode of Emperors of Rome. And boy, is it a good one. But until then, I'm Matt Smith. You've been fantastic. And thanks for listening.